Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelski, and I thank you so much for joining us right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. So I was sitting with some fourth-grade boys yesterday, and one of them looked at a small, clear bowl on the table and said, that is a super bowl. They chuckled. I thought for a moment, realized that's probably something I would say. I would look at a bowl and call it super having nothing at all to do with the actual, capital S, Super Bowl. Now, I'm certain that that fourth grade boy was cracking a joke, an intentional joke, calling the bowl super, referencing the Super Bowl, but it did make me take pause and wonder what message, if any, we can take from the actual Super Bowl. And we will talk about that today. But before we get to that and our special guest, We're going to talk about something else that's totally fun, totally wacky, probably a complete waste of time, but nonetheless, something people are talking about this week, so I bring it up. Apparently, it's Doppelganger Week on Facebook, where you change your profile picture to someone famous, like an actor, a musician, an athlete, etc., that you have been told you look like. And after you update your profile with your twin or switched-at-birth photo, you cut and paste it to your status. This is the third year for the cute shtick, which began earlier this week, February 2nd, and it runs through February 9th. And I actually noticed it. I'm a bit of a Facebook user, and I noticed it, and I noticed that my friends were, you know, all of a sudden, I've got Barbra Streisand there, and I've got Hillary Clinton there, and I'm noticing a pattern, and everyone's asking, who do you think I look like? And making some suggestions and saying, what do you think of this one? What do you think of this one? And so I started to look into it a little bit. So initially I thought, and this is sort of why we're talking about it also. I thought that the shtick was because of the famous Super Bowl brothers, you know, John and Jim Harbaugh. But of course, that was merely a coincidence. That actually has nothing to do with the brothers at all. If you go to Facebook, you will see that the leading website that will aid you in choosing your twin separate at birth is a site called myheritage.com. And what's interesting about this site, you guessed it, not surprisingly, it is an Israeli-owned site that by the end of this week is expecting to register half a million browsers. According to Haaretz, the app has already been downloaded nearly 105,000 times with more than 940,000 pictures uploaded. And as of this moment, air, the app is being downloaded at an average rate of 6,200 times an hour. So I noticed it. I went to check it out, and I thought that actually that was really interesting. And I was very proud of this website, MyHeritage.com, that it is an Israeli website, and I wanted to share that with you. Uh, Wikipedia says that the meme, which is an idea, behavior, or style that spreads from person to person within a culture, was reportedly started by a guy named Bob Patel, who was constantly told by his workmates that he looks like Tom Selleck, famous actor, And uh, apparently this has been going on for the last couple of years, and they already have the date scheduled for Doppelganger Week on Facebook for the next couple of years. So if you want to get in on the action, if you're a Facebook user, you want to get in on the action, plan now. Next year, Doppelganger Week will run from February 2nd to February 8th. That's 2014. But you do have a couple more days to go to your profile picture, see who you look like, go to myheritage.com, check it out. It's a lot of fun and update your status. There you go. 
Well, now that we're uh, talking about twins separated at birth, you know that my segue was the Harbaugh brothers, but actually it's not really a good segue at all. But let's get back to the Super Bowl. For starters, you may think that it's over. You know, the parade is long forgotten. But you know what? They're already talking about next year's venue, New York. Already they're talking about what kind of entertainment they can pull together for the halftime show. Uh, Apparently they're talking about some kind of cold weather that's expected in New York in February. And apparently it's difficult to assemble a stage quickly when you can barely feel your fingers. I'm thinking we should steer them to YU's halftime show. I hear it was a great success and one of those why didn't we think of this sooner ideas. And I know that people who watched it really, really loved it. And um, just yesterday, you know, we're talking about the, this far-reaching Super Bowl thing, even once the Super Bowl is over. Just yesterday, my son came home from school with a poster he made for Health Week, aptly titled, How to Win a Super Bowl. Stay active, eat right, play like a raven. I know that our guest who I'm about to introduce is going to love that line. And that was a takeaway message from a group of fifth-grade boys. Dr. Ellie Lassen joins us today. He's the executive director of JobLink of Maryland, an organization dedicated to further the employment objectives of members of the Baltimore Jewish community. And he has compiled a list of important lessons we can learn from the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. Now, he's from Baltimore. We're going to try to figure out if this is just a Raven thing or just a general Super Bowl thing. And uh, he presents some teachable moments. And uh, Dr. Lawson is no stranger to these airways. Thank you so much for joining us here and something to talk about. Hi, Randy. So talking about, they've been talking about making the day after the Super Bowl a national holiday. Billions of dollars is spent around a game. And they're, they've been counting how much money people have been spending on, on hot dogs, wings, chicken wings, and the food. Over 100 million people tuned in. Companies spent upwards of $1.5 million for 30 seconds of time with, with me, you know, for 30 seconds of, of me watching them. What do we make of all this? Well, uh, as you were giving your uh, intro, there was a uh, day school in Baltimore. They had a big purple sign out last week, Pray Like a Raven. Pray <laughs> so Like was, a Raven. That was kind of, or they could have said Davin Like a Raven, and it would have been spelled the like, but uh, but not rhyme. But uh, uh, so here in Baltimore, there's obviously been a lot of hype and a lot of uh, hype leading into it. There was uh, yeah. I should congratulate you on your home state win. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Assuming a, you're a Ravens fan, I I am. I'm a big Ravens fan. I, I have been following the team since they uh, started here in Baltimore. We had a little bit of a lull after the Baltimore Colts, that I was also a fan of. Uh, left to Indianapolis, uh, but it, it's actually become uh, a Sunday tradition, given that I have uh, one daughter still in the house, and uh, she is in 12th grade, and she's gotten very much into it, especially this year. So uh, it's uh, kind of a bonding time, uh, dad and daughter, uh, during uh, each, uh, each Sunday, and it's, uh, it's obviously uh, something that hits close to home when your team is uh, doing well in the playoffs with the eye on the Super Bowl and with each game, and each game was a, a real nail-biter leading up to it. Uh, we, uh, we watched and had some cousins that came over, so it was uh, really a, a, some, some good quality family time together. Yeah, so I should just you know, lay it all out, full disclaimer, I am totally not a football fan. 
I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of football. I just would say that I'm not a football follower. I have tried to understand the rules of the game. It wasn't one of those games that when I was in summer camp, they taught the girls how to play. Now I believe they teach the girls how to play football, but I actually never learned how to play football. I could uh, I could throw a football a little bit because I know I'm supposed to spin it, how I'm supposed to hold it. But I, I really don't know the rules of the game. Um, so I'm kind of... Uh, I agree with you that it, there's a lot of bonding time in watching a game. And you said you watch you watch the game with your family and friends. So there was a game going on in my house with family and friends. I didn't really watch it. Is that bad? Well, everybody has their own uh, their own niche. Some people play a supporting role, uh, maybe by providing the chips or I something did. like that. And I did. Uh, that's that's fine. Uh, football's a, kind of a guy, been a guy's game. It's, it's somewhat of a, a complex game. It's a team effort with 53 players, each uh, having their own, uh, their own role on a given, on a given week. And the, uh, it, it's a fun game to watch. You mentioned uh, some uh, females not being so into it. I know that uh, in Israel, I think there is a league that has a women's division of Orthodox women that, that play on a weekly basis. So. Yes, so I should proudly say that my sister-in-law, Ayala Wartelski, was a member of Israel's national flag football team. Well, that's, that's great. It, it's a different sport. It's not a very popular sport in terms of playing uh, among, among the female population, but uh, there, are, there are people that are obviously uh, interested. So you call this the spirit of teachable moments, seven important lessons that we can take from the Super Bowl. I am um, an, an HR professional, as you uh, indicated in, in the uh, intro, and uh, human resources has been part of my professional life over the past 20-plus years. I've been involved in various capacities of HR, uh, sometimes people refer to it as talent management. Uh, my degree is in organizational psychology. And what I really wanted to do uh, in writing up this uh, blog post is try to glean some lessons from the Super Bowl. We could take it from the team, the Ravens, and how they operate, as well as from the game from the game itself. And what I try to do is, is really bring it down to earth, even if you're not a football fan. And I came up with, uh, with seven points that I think can apply to uh, not just organizational life, but perhaps to our community as well. As a, as a Jewish uh, observant community, I think that there's some lessons uh, to be uh, learned from it as well. Most definitely. Most definitely. So one of your first points is about talent acquisition and management. Talent acquisition and management is, is just really about hiring the right people uh, for the right positions. Obviously, you need a hiring authority, a hiring body that's going to bring in uh, competent people for each of the roles in the organization. On a football team, it's a matter of hiring the right coaches, uh, obtaining the right players through uh, what we call a draft or through trades or free agent, free agent acquisitions. But bringing it down to our uh, communal life, we have schools, we have other Jewish organizations, and finding the right people, locating the proper talent to be in leadership as well as in staff positions in our schools and our organizations, 
uh, is is really important. Right. And, you know, when you think about even the big store chains like Walmart, you know, they take a lot of pride in their team. Um, you know, you walk through Target, you'll hear them announcing, you know, team meeting now. And I think, you know, every store and, you know, maybe even every school um, is only as good as each individual that that is employed there or that works there because every individual is a representative of that organization. Every, every cashier, every teacher, every person who, you know, deals with people is a representative of that organization. And in a sense, as the management, you're sort of leaving the, the running of the company to all of these people that you're empowering underneath you. And, you know, I think that a CEO has got to get out there, has got to see what his workers are doing, pump them up, give them advice, know their names. And it is definitely all about hiring the right people. Invariably, we all work in a collaborative team environment. And when an organization hires, they're not only hiring for individual talent for their positions. That's, that's a given. But they also have to be uh, aware of the chemistry. That's, uh, that's, that's a term that's used in sports uh, very often. And the chemistry among the team members to perform whatever it is, whether it's working in a Walmart or a Home Depot uh, or a Stop and Shop, uh, or working in an organization, in a professional organization, a nonprofit or a for-profit, that team dynamic is is very important. And as we hire people in for those roles, we have to always be cognizant of how this individual is going to fit in to the work unit. So do you think the Ravens had, had good chemistry? you think those players uh, collaborated well together? Uh, over the course of the year, it, it, it has to be that way. Uh, there, you have to have some cohesiveness because it's a long season. It really starts with training camp in July, and it really goes through if you make it to the, to the top uh, to, to February. And there are going to be some bumps in the road. There are going to be some wins and losses. And the, be, the ability to rebound as a team from adversity uh, really takes a certain level of cohesiveness, kind of subordinating ego in many cases, and uh, tr- just trying to keep your eye on the prize. And, and the common goal is to keep winning games as many as you can until the Super Bowl. Right, right. Uh, you talk about individual adaptability and, as you just mentioned, subordinating roles. So football teams have how many players? 53 players on, on an active roster, uh, and they uh, deactivate a certain number per game, but uh, basically it's 53 players on a team. So in a sense, if, you've, if you do make it to the NFL and you're one of those 53 guys, see, I would be like, I'm so glad I made it here. I can earn a nice salary, and I don't ever have to play. That'd be good. Well, uh, yeah, but in order to get the next contract, because there is invariably turnover each year, uh, you have to do some good things. You have to do some things that will get you noticed, make right. good so, yeah, plays. So that would be good for me because I'm a bad player, right? That, that would be good for, for Randy because I'm a, I'm a bad football player. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so some are, some are stars, right? And, and I think that that's, that that's an important lesson, you know, as you, you say, uh, a far-reaching lesson. And, you know, you think about our kids who join sports teams in schools, it's so hard to swallow when you don't get the kind of playing time you want to get in a game. I, you know, we hear kids talk about that all the time. 
kids have to be, I guess, uh, and kids will be uh, sensitive to who the best players on the team are, and sometimes they're the most popular kids in the class as well because of their uh, achievements uh, in sports. And uh, kids really need to learn the lesson that they may not be the star player. Uh, there are only certain players that have the talent to score the most points uh, or to hit the ball the, the, the furthest in baseball, and uh, usually, usually they will they will kind of come to grips uh, with that. When you have a, a, a league or teams that are of a uh, not a professional nature, let's say a day school team, an intramural team, a varsity team uh, in high school. That really brings into play the role of the coach because the coach is not just a strategist, but the coach is also an educator. Uh, it may not be called a teacher or a, a rebbe, but uh, that coach really needs to infuse educational lessons within, uh, w- within the sport, within the team, because these are not players that, in most cases, are going to go on to college or to professional ranks. And they need to learn lessons from playing the sport, lessons of teamwork, lessons of humility, uh, and other important lessons. So whether it's a parent or whether it's the coach, uh, there are many teachable moments that can be uh, taken away from a sports league. Right. I think also going, going along with that would be respecting your fellow players. Absolutely. Teamwork and is, is, really all, is, is really one of the biggest lessons uh, and sensitivity, sensitivity to the other team. That's actually one of the other points that I uh, will we'll talk about in a few moments. But sensitivity to the other, uh, the other players on the same team and as well as uh, on the different team. Right. So while it's nice to work toward a goal, and certainly in professional football, you know, you have to work toward that Super Bowl and winning games, uh, it really is true that the the process of being on a team and playing on a team is not just about winning the game or, you know, even to a degree playing the game. It's really so much about your interactions with others. Randy, I played high school basketball. And that year when I was a senior playing high school basketball was very informative and transformative uh, to to my essence. We played as a team, we created relationships, we learned skills, and really those relationships are, are still very dear to me many years later. I'm not going to say how many years later, but those relationships that we, uh, that we had when we practiced, when we practiced hard, those, uh, those moments are, are very, uh, very precious to me many years later. Right. And I still keep up with the coach, I still keep up with players uh, on the team, and uh, it was a very, very uh, productive experience for me socially. Yeah, most definitely. When, uh, I mean, I also played basketball in high school, and I even played basketball in college a little bit too. And even the feeling of, in, in college actually, we got sneakers. We all got the same sneakers and um, the same bag, you know, in addition to the uniform, which was something new for me. We didn't have that in high school. And, you know, watching everyone sort of put on, there's sneakers at the same time and you really feel like you're part of something and you feel like you, you know, you're with another person. It, it definitely is a transforming experience for sure. 
you have the symbolism of the, whether it's the shoes or whether it's the uniforms, you take a certain amount of pride, you take some team pictures, and that really, that symbol really solidifies everything that the team represents. Right, right. And, and when you're playing along with other people, you talk about adaptability, being able to go with the flow. This point really is about what I call contingencies. And certainly in sports, you never know what's going to happen in a given game. You could have somebody who gets injured. Uh, the coach has to react to what the other team is doing. The players have to react. So that adaptability is really key uh, in football, and it's really key in life. There are so many things that happen that we just don't expect. Uh, we just experienced Hurricane Sandy. Some uh, some cities got hit uh, a lot harder. And what to do when faced with a catastrophic event uh, that affected communities, that affected individuals, that affected families, uh, really is, is, is something that we have to learn to go with the flow and, and be adaptable to those situations, whether it's being displaced from one's home uh, or from one's work or from one's school. And I think with Hurricane Sandy, we really saw the community, uh, the Jewish community, the observing community, really rally around and help uh, each other uh, face that adversity. Right. I was, gonna, I was thinking the same point, that along with you know, sort of being able to, to go with the flow and, and, and succeed in changing situations, you also learn a lot about yourself. You know, say you're playing in a game and your star player gets injured and coach calls on you to run in and take over. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, he's calling on me. I, you know, he thinks I can do this. Wow. And, you know, it might be something that is taking you out of your own comfort zone, um, but you sort of learn a little bit about yourself in the process. And, you know, with the example that you brought up earlier with, um, Hurricane Sandy, so many people who rallied around victims and who raised money also got a chance to step up to the plate and see what they were made of. In football, there is the starting quarterback, and that's the one that gets most of the uh, practice uh, rep, reps, as they call it. Uh, but there's also the backup quarterback. And it's important that the backup quarterback is ready and able to step in at a moment's notice because it could very well be that over the course of a game, uh, the quarterback, the starting quarterback may be, may be hit, may be hit hard, may have a, a concussion or an injury, whether it takes that quarterback out of the game for the entire game or maybe just for, for part of the game. That quarterback really has to, uh, has to take the leadership of that team because the quarterback is the uh, one that is the position that makes everything makes everything go. So during practice, that quarterback needs to act as if he is going to be running the team uh, in in at some point in the future, and always has to be always has to be ready for that eventuality. Right, most definitely. I think also like um, an understudy would be in a Broadway production. So the understudy for the starring role of whatever has to go to every rehearsal, has to know those lines in and out, has got to be able to sing the songs as if any night that understudy will be called on to play the starring role. That's right. And that takes practice the same way that the, the, starting, uh, the starting actor uh, in the play uh, is, is practicing and rehearsing. We're talking with Dr. Ellie Lassen, 
about lessons we can learn from the Super Bowl. Dr. Lassen, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with more lessons from the Super Bowl right after this. Is it just sport, Daphne Dekel's uh, Eurovision entry? And uh, we're talking here about sports. We're talking about the Super Bowl. Welcome back to Something to Talk About. I'm Randy Wartelsky right here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And I'm sitting with Dr. Ellie Lassen, the executive director of JobLink of Maryland, an organization dedicated to further the employment objectives of members of the Baltimore Jewish community. And Dr. Lassen has compiled a list, a blog, a, a some thoughts about things we can learn 
from the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. So, Ellie, what do you think about leadership, management? I like to distinguish between leadership and management. Management okay. is somebody who is in a, on an organizational chart, somebody who supervises others. That very often is about managing stuff, managing data. But leadership is more than that. Leadership is managing people. And as we know, managing people because they are unpredictable is often more challenging than managing stuff and managing data. Most definitely. What I observed in following the football team, following the Baltimore Ravens, is that they have leaders on their team. And one of the more visible leaders is the coach. And I had a blog piece last week about how I felt that he had some great uh, interpersonal skills and would do great on a job interview. Uh, his name is John Harbaugh, one of the Harbaugh brothers. But they also have uh, in their ownership and their other their upper management individuals who are who are who are successful. The owner is a very successful uh, individual by the name of Steve Bashotti, and they also have a. Uh, general manager or vice president named Ozzie Newsom, who himself was a great football player in the Hall of Fame and is really good at num point number one, the talent acquisition and, and talent management. So he has that, he has that, particular, that particular role. And part of leadership is not micromanaging, is really empowering others, empowering others with whom you have placed a certain amount of trust and responsibility and really giving them the space to giving them the state the space to breathe and and uh, operate on their own the logical extension here is one that we can carry over to parenting as well and the uh, role of parents in empowering their children there's such a a dichotomy between you know what you're saying about leadership if you're not micromanaging, you know, let's take it back to the football reference for a second. You want to design a play, right? And you want your players to execute that play. Say when, you know, as a parent, you want to set out the, the values and the, the derech, if you will, that you would like your children to follow in. How do you be a good leader without being a micromanager if you're executing you're asking others to execute sort of your plan. That is the $64,000 question. And the, the short answer to that, Randy, is, is balance. You have to know when you establish what your core values are and trying to transmit those core values, uh, you have to know where you draw the line in terms of your, uh, your involvement. And we see that in sports, let's say in Little League Baseball or sometimes uh, intramural or varsity sports, and you have certain parents that come to the game and start arguing with the referee or the umpire, and that is a little bit too much, a little bit too much, uh, too much involvement. It's very nice that, they, uh, that the parents gave the child the opportunity to play Little League and that they are supportive and show up to the games. But really, that's where it has to, uh, that's where it has to stop. Uh, if the uh, team loses and the, the child feels bad, then on the way back home, then that's where the parenting, uh, comes, that's where the parenting comes in. So really, the 
balance between between imparting values and and not micromanaging is something that really uh, some that sometimes uh, requires a little bit of trial and error and seeing what works. Every child is different. Some child some children want to be managed a little bit more closely than others. Some children are more resistant. And when it comes to parenting and raising children, also it's a partnership between the parent and the school. You have to know when to delegate certain aspects of your child's education, and you have to know when to take the reins and take control over certain aspects of your of your child's education. Obviously, you are empowering the school. As a parent, you are empowering the school to to educate, and some of that is the uh, the three R's uh, or, or Torah, uh, and some of it some of it is value based, but m- many of the values are imparted in the home. So it's really a matter of, of figuring out what works for your particular child in your particular situation, and the same thing really applies in organizational uh, organizational life. Right. So you sort of want to be able to steer your employees or your children or in whatever leadership position you are in, you want to be able to steer them in a direction, but also be able to step back and sort of let them be and let them realize, I guess, their potential on their own, hopefully with the tools that you've given them. Yes, I, I, would, I would agree with that, with that uh, statement. I, there is a, uh, in psychology, there is a concept called uh, emotional intelligence. And emotional intelligence is not just about is not just book smarts. It's it's really more than that. It is kind of knowing how to act, how to respond in certain situations. And I'm of the belief in observing leaders and observing effective leaders that leaders who have high levels of emotional intelligence, who know how to manage their emotions, who know how to how to, how to establish and abide by boundaries, and they, quote-unquote, get it, those are individuals who will be highly successful leaders in whatever, uh, in, in whatever field of endeavor, whether it's sports, whether it's uh, in Jewish education, or whether it's in for, for-profit management. That getting it, knowing what the strengths of individuals are, empowering others, uh, that's really part of effective leadership. Yeah, and in the case of a company, or, or even in the case of a, a sports organization, it's probably very, very difficult for a leader to sort of step back when there's you know millions of dollars at stake. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of ego. There's a lot placed on individual accomplishment. Uh, I just heard on the radio today that the uh, quarterback of the Ravens, who was the MVP in the Super Bowl, Joe Flacco, uh, his agent was 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 talking him up uh, in the hopes of getting a a twenty million dollar a year contract, and uh, the twenty dollar twenty million dollar a year uh, contract is going to far exceed uh, even what certainly what the coach is making and uh, what the other players are making. So uh, that has to kind of be put into perspective. How do you manage someone that's making uh, six times as much as you when that kind of go, goes against what is typical in organizations. Right. You talked about, in your blog piece, you talked about a specific moment in the Super Bowl 
where something about taking a step back. You you write here. I'll read it. I'll read it back to you. The quarterback may throw a pass out of bounds rather than chance. Oh wait, let me take it back a little bit. In football, because you see, I'm I'm a little bit football, not so uh, not so bright sometimes. In football, a team may punt rather than risking missing on a fourth and one. The quarterback may throw a pass out of bounds rather than chance an interception. At the end of the Super Bowl, Ravens punter Sam Koch literally made such a lat- literally made such a lateral move in the end zone. Running out the clock and taking a safety for the team was the right decision. Taking a step back is something that I use as sort of a, uh, a metaphor for uh, career development. In many of our careers, we assume that we start out in our careers and we continue to ascend vertically. It's not going to be every single year. It will be somewhat, uh, somewhat incremental. But in today's reality, where people are changing careers very often, uh, somebody might need to kind of uh, take, take a step back. Uh, and as they're changing careers, they may need to kind of start from the bottom or retool in order to hopefully uh, gain the momentum to ascend vertically, uh, vertically in, the, uh, in the organization. So that's, that's sort of the career development uh, piece. So that's the taking a step back from the person in the job as opposed to the leader taking a step back and letting the person do the job on their own. These right. are two the, different the, things we're talking really about. A, yeah, that, I mean, the, the taking a step back is really a, a separate point uh, besides besides leadership. And taking a step back is, is uh, in a sense, kind of cutting your losses and figuring out what is the best decision at any given point in time. Uh, so at the end of the game, as you were describing it, uh, at the end of the game... Read, reading there, your words. I'm sorry? Reading your words. Right. So at the end of the at the at the end of the game, uh, there was a situation where uh, the team would have to kind of uh, lose two points, so to speak, uh, in their lead. But uh, it came at the benefit of of running out running out the clock, and that was what was best for the team at that particular moment. So they they had to kind of take a step back, lose two points on a safety, at with. with uh, the added benefit of, uh, of of running out the clock, which which really was was the right decision in this uh, in this particular scenario. And so, say somebody who is in a certain job and they feel very very overwhelmed in their job at the moment. Sometimes you're saying it's it's a good idea to take a step back, reevaluate, see where you fit, and then jump back in. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that sometimes if the person feels overwhelmed and might need to change jobs within, within the company, then uh, they may go into a, a, a job in that same company or in, in that same industry and uh, maybe start, start a, little bit, a little bit lower than they, than they were in the hopes of maybe getting into a better job situation that will either earn more income or would give a, a, more, a better quality of life. Right, right. I, I want to come back to the point that we were making before about leadership. And um, one of the items that you write about is letting go. One of the most challenging situations in talent management is letting somebody go, telling somebody this isn't a good place for you. And um, 
this is something that you're saying we can learn from sports, but this is something for life. As, as a leader, you have to know your team. You have to know where people stand. And sometimes you've got to shuffle people around, and that's a very difficult decision. In sports, especially professional football, there is uh, obviously it's a very competitive landscape, and it's very much of a business. And in the off season, they dis- they discuss uh, who's going to uh, who's going to be let go because of what they call the salary cap, and you you can't retain all of the players that uh, that you would like, even if they provided significant value on the football field in a in a given year. And the leadership of the team has to make some, some difficult decisions as to who they want to retain and who they uh, can afford to let go. Uh, and tr- transition is really part of, uh, part of professional sports. And when I say letting go in this particular point, companies, organizations often are faced with letting people go because of the economy, uh, business is not doing well, or even if the person is under or misperforming, then they have to let that person, let that person go. And uh, terminating anybody is, is very difficult. It's perhaps one of the more difficult decisions that a, that a manager uh, has to do. But we see that sometimes in, in, our, in our community, in our organizational life, where uh, someone, has to be, uh, someone has to be let go. But if it's for the best, if it's the be- for the best of the organization, whether it's a school or shul or uh, any other uh, Jewish organization, sometimes it has to be. Sometimes it has to be done. And letting go is really a two-way street. There's the management letting go of the individual, which is often a difficult decision. But when I deal with job seekers who have been let go. Uh, as a result of being laid off for economic reasons or even for misperformance, they also have to let go. They have to be able to let go of their former employer, not to harp on any bad feelings because that is, in the long run, not going to be to their, in their best interest. So letting go, as difficult as it is because of all of the emotional investment from either direction, from either management to employee or to em- from employee to management, is, 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 a, is a very big challenge. And it would be important for both sides to understand why the person was let go, right? As it, when you're the one in the leadership position, it would be important for the person whom you are letting go to understand why they were let go. I mean, for that person, it would be important for them to know why you don't feel that they're successful in their position anymore. So this way they can move on and be successful somewhere else. Many organizations, Randy, have this uh, procedure, this protocol in place called an exit interview. And it is an opportunity for, the, for both parties really to learn about the other side at this, at this juncture, at this juncture of separation. And it's a, also a way of conveying to the employee some of the reasons. Maybe there's uh, some opportunities for development, from, for some skill development, for some maybe maturity development uh, to happen. And there's also a chance for the employee to express what he or she felt was good about the organization, what he or she felt needs improvement about the organization, also an opportunity to vent some 
uh, some feelings. Uh, that's not going to necessarily solve the entire, uh, the entire issue, but the concept of having that conversation is, is a helpful one. Yeah, we could extend this even to dating, shidduchim. It's important to be able to let go when something is not working out, and at the same time, it's important to understand what it was that wasn't working. That uh, that's a, a, an interesting uh, interesting uh, application of this of this uh, same principle, but I think it's uh, it's valid nonetheless. Uh, depending on which uh, segment of the community one operates, uh, sometimes there is a gatekeeper uh, by way of a shadchan that is filtering information that does not necessarily give the opportunity to have that mature. Uh, conversation between between the two parties, but in other communities, there uh, may be that that chance to have such a such a m- mature conversation. Hopefully, it won't be done in a uh, in, in a way that is, is a text. Uh, hey, I'm breaking up with you, uh, and there's an uh, an opportunity for the face to face to to kind of talk out the issues. It, it, but it is because of the emotional investment in the dating and in the relationship uh, is is also very challenging but that's something that adults have to have to be able to do right right um so you're a baltimorean did i say that right i am a third generation baltimorean yes third generation wow cool so did you attend the ravens parade I spent a little time at the uh, parade i went down there for a little bit and actually got started uh, a bit late uh, because of the traffic jam, and it was very, very cold. And it was really a display of pomp and circumstance of the players going by in the various Humvees and the floats, waving to the crowd. They had uh, flip cams where they were taking pictures of, uh, of the crowd, smiling, you know, cheering and gesturing, and it was, I guess, a feel-good moment. One of the players raised the Lombardi Trophy, which is for the Super Bowl winner. And it was, uh, it was cold, but it was uh, kind of fun to see. So this is yet one more lesson that you talk about, how to succeed graciously. And, and I'll extend it just a little bit, just to something that's coming through my mind, is you get 100 on a test, and you just want to scream and shout, how do you succeed graciously, and what is the lesson that we can learn from the way the Ravens handled winning? Well, I know that the when the coach was interviewed, Coach John Harbaugh was interviewed about how it was when he had his moment with his brother after the game. He commented that that was the most difficult thing he's ever done in sports right. because they are separated by, I think, 15 months. And uh, they are, they're sort of close, although they, their demeanor is uh, somewhat different. But he felt bad for his brother. And I think it was, it was really a genuine. It was really genuine. When it comes from him, I, I believe it to be, to be genuine. And uh, he had to uh, balance the winning and the pride that he had in his team uh, for winning the Super Bowl with the sensitivity towards his brother and his brother's, uh, his brother's team. Uh, and taking the high road uh, is, always, uh, is always a good way to go uh, because you never know next year you might be in the opposite 
in the opposite uh, position. Right, of course. And as a coach, the coaches and the owners, how did they handle the win with their players? I think that based on what I based on what I saw, each of the whether it's the owner, the owner was quick to give credit to the person below him, the vice president and general manager. The general manager was quick to give credit to the coach. The coach was quick to give credit to the players. And that's uh, I, I think uh, a very healthy way of, of of putting everything into into perspective, and it really uh, blends in with the point that I made before about empowering, because each layer of the organization empowers the layer beneath it to do uh, to do certain things, and hopefully to do it well with uh, with excellence and effort. And I, I think that the way that they handled this particular victory really demonstrated that. Well, wow. you know, I wonder if it would be true the other way as well for a player to turn around and thank a coach for such great leadership. Sometimes when you see uh, interviews of professional players that sort of get it, they will give credit to maybe a high school coach or maybe a college coach or even a professional coach for uh, providing the guidance early on or providing the ongoing mentoring and you, you don't see that enough, but I, I, I do think that, that it's important to recognize the people that got you there. Right, of course. Your last point speaks to the Americans with Disabilities Act. What do you, how do you connect that to this game? Well, the Americans with Disabilities Act, since the, the, the theme of the uh, blog post was human resources, the Americans with Disabilities Act is a very... Uh, important piece of legislation that has been around for about uh, 20 years now. And the gist of that is in an organization, if you have someone with a disability and that disability can be accommodated, then the organization, if the uh, expense or accommodation is reasonable, the organization is really required to provide that uh, accommodation to allow someone with challenges to perform uh, to perform their particular uh, job, uh, and there was there is an individual who has ALS who used to be a player on the team and now he is in the management of the team. His name is O.J. Brigance, and over the course of the season, sometimes you would see him in the locker room uh, in a somewhat compromised state. Uh, he can't move his hands, he can't move his legs, and he can't even speak any longer. He, uh, I think it's a Dynovox uh, apparatus that he uses to communicate with eye gestures, and he's able to put together sentences that are uh, communicated through this, through this device. And uh, he, at one point, provided a very tangible uh, service to the, to the team. He was a player on the team. Uh, but over the years, since he has been debilitated, his contribution, I believe, is more profound because he still is involved in the play with with the players on a on a regular basis. Uh, he is a visible symbol of the frailty of of human life, and uh, provides inspiration. Provides inspiration to the coach. Provides inspiration to the players. And at the Super Bowl victory after the game. Uh, Coach Sean Harbaugh made it a, made a point to point him out 
in the uh, in, he was in a wheelchair in front of the podium there, and uh, of course the national TV cameras were were able to focus in on him and his uh, and his wife, and uh, he wasn't able to speak, but you basically saw a smile on his face that. Uh, he was happy for the team, and the team was very, uh, very happy uh, for him. And uh, the lesson to be learned from this is that there are many people in this uh, country that have either physical or developmental challenges that still provide a, a very important contribution to our to our workforce, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a shul, whether it's in an organization. Uh, and we have uh, various organizations that are involved in, the, in our community. Uh, I'll just mention a few, Yachad Hask, uh, High Lifeline, Kids of Courage, that uh, are able to really embrace uh, literally and figuratively, these individuals and bring them into our communities, bring them into our workforces. And as, as, as it turns out, many of the people with physical and developmental challenges tend to be very reliable employees. They tend to be very conscientious employees and could be valued uh, contributors to any organization. Yes, yeah, so that is such a wonderful point. And you know, in a sense, we're nearing the end of our interview together. One of the most beautiful points that we've made through this hour is, you know, reaching out and, and doing chesed and recognizing the talents of others. And, and that is such a beautiful point that you make also about about respecting others and about bringing, you know, bringing people with disabilities into the workforce in such a way. It is, um, is it, a very, it is a very beautiful and powerful ability that we have as a community. And I, 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 I have observed, Randy, over the past five, ten years that I've been paying attention. My, my, I have my daughter, uh, Yael, is, is active in, in, in Yachad. And just, just seeing what the, community, what the community has done in not doing it because it's a pure chesed. That's obviously a very big part of it. But I, I, I think that the, the people that are involved, especially the young people that are involved in, in these endeavors, uh, I think that they are better people because of it. So uh, I think that perhaps God has a way of doing things and has uh, contrived a situation that would not only help the, the participants in these programs, but also to help the staff uh, that, that are providing the services to these programs uh, grow as uh, grow as individuals, and and I, I, we've reached a point where it's kind of cool to do that type of thing. And many of these uh, many of these positions in the summer camps or the other programs are are coveted positions, and I, I think that's a wonderful thing that our community has 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 reached that point where uh, it's not that the people have to be forced to participate; they want to participate in a very uh, profound way. Right. Ellie, thank you so much for joining us today and something to talk about. So, so much time, money, and energy, one game, and you've helped us see what it could all mean. Where can people read your blog? It's uh, a bit of a long URL, but I'll try to just read it. It's joblinkemployment.wordpress.com. And if they want to contact you, they could email me through randy at nachamsegel.com. And um, thanks so much for joining us. And a little short program note 
In about two hours from now, everybody, the Nachum Siegel Network and the Orthodox Union present Battle of the Ages, a ping pong tournament live on the air, starring 11-year-old Shemarit Shabbat, table tennis phenom and West Hempstead native Esti Ackerman versus Ellie Hagler, assistant director of Yachad and 1998 Stay ping pong champion, extensive live network programming from 5 to 10 p.m. Eastern, live from the Orthodox Union. Coverage of the match provided by stunt show host Daniel Gordon. Featured network notables like Nachum Siegel, Michael Fragan, and, Char- and Charlie Harari will broadcast their shows from the OU as well. Join us for five hours of fun and excitement on the Nachum Siegel Network at nachumsiegel.com and log on to Ustream slash .tv slash channel slash Nachum Siegel Net for full video real-time coverage of the event. Thanks so much for joining us today on Something to Talk About right here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Let's give them something.